some details on a few things going on in the life of Faith Church. Um, First, I just want to acknowledge, I was so excited, last week our Faith Youth Group that meets every Wednesday at 6.30 um, got to do a little field trip um, and pack bags for uh, people in need, uh, primarily people without a home. They were packing hygiene bags, they were packing bags um, that would just be a support and a help to people in our community. So I wanted to acknowledge our youth for engaging in that mission work and also just invite you, if you have a youth or know a youth anywhere from 6th through 12th grade, our youth group meets in the youth building straight across the parking lot with the big sign that says youth building on it um, every Wednesday at 6.30. And if you would like youth updates, um, either for yourself or for a neighbor or for a friend, if you'll just mark that on your Connect card, if you'll put your name and a little note that says youth email list um, and your email, we'll make sure our youth director, Caleb, gets you on that list so you will be in the know on all of that stuff. Um, Speaking of Wednesdays, we had a great Bible study this Wednesday. Um, Pastor Charles will come up in a minute and we'll do our 50 weeks in the Word. Each each week we take one chapter of Scripture and we read it once every day. And in that week, there's a single verse that um, those that have, uh, you know, engaged and decided to sign up commit to memorizing. And this week's, uh, this week's chapter was Judges 6, and so every Wednesday at 6.30 uh, in the fellowship hall, we get together and we discuss that. It's welcome, uh, excuse me, it's open to anybody, so if you'd like to jump in and just see what that discussion is all about, we'd love to have you. We had a great discussion. I wanted to share one thing that popped out um, to me in our discussion this last week in Judges 6. Uh, I'm going to read Judges 6.13 through 14. This is where Gideon, uh, the angel of the Lord has appeared to Gideon, who's hiding um, because of the oppression that has come to his people. And Gideon says to the angel of the Lord, please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? This was really poignant to me because how often do we come to the Lord with questions? Gideon asks this angel of the Lord a question. And the angel of the Lord responds, but he doesn't give him a direct answer. He just gives him the next right thing to do, which consequently is the best thing for Gideon. I find that incredibly poignant in that sometimes when the Lord doesn't give us a direct answer, that's okay. He knows He knows what's coming. He knows what's best for us. And he still honors us by engaging us just like he did Gideon. So if you want nuggets like that, uh, little things that come out in the discussion, please join us Wednesday's Bible study at 630 in the Fellowship Hall. Also coming up, our men's ministry, like Charles mentioned last week, we are kicking off our men's ministry at Faith Church, and we have a kickoff cookout September 9th, 6 to 9 p.m. at Michael Moore's house, which is just like three minutes that way. Um, We would love men of all ages. We're just going to, you guys are just going to gather around the campfire, do a cookout, and um, have some great fellowship and seek the Lord together. So we'd love to have you do that. If you would register on faithstatesville.org, that'll make sure um, the guys know how much, uh, how many provisions to prepare for this manly gathering. Um, (laughs) So just hop on faithstatesville.org, pop in your information. It's free. We just want to know how many people are coming so that they can prepare accordingly. 
Lastly, I'm really excited um, to share with you something I just learned about. Um, uh, gosh, probably, let's see, 13, 14, 15, 15 or 16 years ago, Charles and I had the opportunity uh, to visit Kenya, the country of Kenya, with a woman who um, attended our previous church uh, out in California, who is Kenyan. Um, she was born and raised in Kenya and came over to the States. But she still uh, frequently goes to Kenya. And uh, a long time ago, we got to go with her um, to see the country, to learn about her work there. And she continues to do that work there, caring um, for the least of these. Her name is Rosalind. And Rosalind continues to send us updates on um, what the Lord is doing in Kenya and how she's engaging that and um, seeing the fruit of that. And uh, recently, we got an email from Rosalind saying, um, talking about their care for the widows uh, in Kenya. I won't go into details, but uh, in fact, I was just talking to another friend today about uh, the state of widows in a number of African countries is beyond comprehension. And so it is the work of God's people to care for those who cannot care for themselves and whose society has pushed aside. And that in Africa is often the widows. So Rosalind and her ministry often um, care for the widows by providing rice and beans. And in the most recent update that we received, uh, they were not able to provide the beans, just the rice, because of inflation, because of um, lack of funds. And let me make sure I have these details right. And so, after receiving that, that group update, uh, we asked her, well, how much, how much do beans cost? You know, what, what, what's the gap that we're looking at here with inflation and, and the cultural issues? And she replied, 600. And in my husband's words, he said, gosh, in his head, he was like, gosh, 600 seems like kind of expensive for beans, but we can, we can do that. And so he, he let her know that. And she said, no, 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 600 shillings. That's $7. $7. And so we as a church want to commit to providing beans to the widows in Kenya. $7 a month for beans for widows. We want to give you that opportunity to be the hands and feet of Christ on the other side of the globe where we have a trusted partner who is doing hands-on work um, and bringing glory to God through it. So if you would like to engage in that, you can um, give online and just um, when it asks you uh, to type in what it's for, what your donation is for, you can just type Kenya. In the drop-down menu, there should be an option for uh, Kenya. You can also use the offering envelopes in the back of your seat and place those in um, the connect box just as long as you mark on there that you want that specifically um, to go to Kenya. And that will feed uh, the specific widows that our trusted partner is working with there. Um, I just think that's beautiful how the Lord uses people and networks around the globe to accomplish his purposes to care for his people. If you guys would stand with me, we will turn our hearts um, to worship and to seek the Lord. I mentioned, um, I mentioned a second ago this idea of yielding to God. I believe that is his heart for us. He, he desires for us to yield to him, not just because he receives glory from it, but because, just as the angel of the Lord was interacting with Gideon, the Lord knows that us yielding to him is what's best for us. So, Father, I ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would just come and fill this place. God, we invite you into this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you, would, that you would give us the courage to yield to you this morning, to yield our minds, 
to yield our spirit, to yield our body, God, to you, trusting in your steadfast love. Lord, I do ask, I ask that your steadfast love would throw, flow through this place today, that your boldness would flow through this place today, that your courage, God, in your people by your spirit would flow through this place today, that we might honor you, Lord, that we might hear from you, God, and that we might obey you in the deepest love, Father, that we can bring. I pray that you would equip us to do that, that you would equip us to engage you in all that you long, all that you long for with us. God, equip us to experience that communion with you. In Jesus' name, we love you. Amen. Thank you, Lauren. Let's worship King Jesus today. Did you come expecting God to do something? Honestly, did you? Or did you just go, oh, it's Sunday morning and we go to church and this is what we do. I hope you're anticipating a move of the Lord. It's going to start as we begin to magnify his kingship, his lordship, with a song called Jesus Messiah. And in this song, it's important for you to know what the, the term Messiah means. And it basically means that he's the promised and the anointed one. He's the Christ. And we're going to exalt him now as Messiah and King.
and he's king forevermore. He's ruling and he's reigning. Lord, let your decrees come from your throne today. You gave your life for mine, nailed to the cross, you crucified all my sin and shame, it was washed by your mercy. You are the treasure I find, my reason for living, so let my life Become an offering to the one who is worthy. All praise to the Lord Most High. All praise to the one who saved my life. All praise to Jesus Christ. I keep the heaven, I keep forever.
Four, we didn't start praise this morning. Praise is already eternally going on. And we are just grabbing hold of what's happening in heaven. Heaven is invading earth as we sing his praise. So as we go into this sermon series that Pastor Charles initiated last week, it's critical that we know what we believe and why we believe what we believe. 
this is a new song for us called This I Believe, The Creed. So let's just begin to declare, proclaim, and profess with our mouth what we believe in our heart.
in the word. My wife explained it earlier. Our verse this week was Judges 6, 12. It's a short one. We have it. And so if you've committed, you better say it loudly. If you haven't committed, don't worry about it. Angel, uh, uh, Judges 6, 12, and the angel of the Lord Well, there we go. Have a seat. That's an identity verse. Gideon is, is uh, he's hiding out. He's threshing wheat in a basement so nobody sees him. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, hey, you're mighty and you have valor. And Gideon's like, me? Because God knows who Gideon's going to be and not who Gideon is. Great stuff. We're in the reform, we're in faith dogmatics, 
as we're talking about what we believe as a church and what is a dogmatic, what does that mean? A dogmatic is simply an authority saying which beliefs are true for the group that they have authority over. So it's just me as the pastors having teaching authority here uh, to say, hey, this is what faith believes. Um, it's usually stated negatively. I actually used it negatively uh, towards my wife this week. I forget what we were talking about, but I told her not to be so dogmatic. And then she said, see, I told you it's a negative word. Um, it wasn't like a real argument. It was like a, a fake argument, but I still used it. Um, and so why, why would I even use it if it's not easily understandable? Because I just like fancy words. And I don't get to use fancy words as much as I like. Um, so you guys are the recipient of my uh, longing for fancy words. Um, as we go through this series, this series builds on uh, the week before. Uh, so last week we talked about a supernatural worldview. If you don't understand the supernatural worldview, and I explained the two kingdoms battling against each other, then you may not fully get um, what the, the, the kingdom of God is this week. So if you miss, listen to it. Go to YouTube. Uh, search for it on your podcast app. We're on those. Um, keep going because this week, next week's going to build on this week and then it's going to go forward like that. And this morning we're talking about the new reality that Jesus brings in Mark chapter one. Um, so if you want to turn to Mark chapter one, I'm just going to read two verses. Um, it's not uh, uh, lengthy at all. And so here's what it says in Mark chapter one verses 14 through 15. It says, Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the word of the Lord. So we talk about dogmas and dogmatics. I'm just going to have this slide up for the next, this week and next week, and then after that, I'm going to assume that everybody's heard me say it once. Faith Church holds to all the fundamental dogmas or beliefs that the Christian faith has been taught for centuries, things that we just sang and proclaimed, things in the Apostles' Creed, things in the Nicene Creed. There's the triune nature of an uncreated God. God has not created. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the creator and sustainer of all life. Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived his sinless life and he had a death, his death on the cross. We believe in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. We believe in the giving of the Holy Spirit and the future bodily coming of Jesus as conquering king and judge. And so this is, this is, uh, these are things that we have to believe about Jesus to be in line with orthodox teaching throughout the centuries. And then this last one is one that we believe, but probably isn't in the same category as those, but it is the inerrancy and the authority of all of Scripture. So those are um, the things that we believe. Um, if you want to have a copy of that, my notes are always on the back wall. You can grab them every week. And last week, we went through our dogmatic number one, and that's that faith. church believes that the world is a supernatural place. That the world that we do not physically see is just as active as the real and real as the world that we do see. And that there are unseen entities that work in two distinct kingdoms, God's kingdom and, the, and Satan's kingdom. And there's a battle that rages and will rage between these two kingdoms. 
until Jesus returns. That was last week. This is this week, dogmatic number two. Faith Church believes that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God when he began his earthly ministry. And that the kingdom of God is the authoritative rule and reign of Jesus over a people, the church, over a place, heaven and earth, and he's over a mission to go make disciples of all nations. Uh, The kingdom is the most neglected teaching, in my opinion, in the Western church. The most neglected one. When I was uh, starting to study the kingdom a few years ago, as I was as things were clicking and it was making sense and I was looking at what Jesus said and what Paul taught and how all of these things kind of uh, come together, it shifted the way that I look at everything. It shifted the way that I look at the Bible. It shifted the way that I looked at the world, the gifts of the Spirit, all of these different things. Um, it, It caused this paradigm shift when you actually understand what Jesus is teaching. Right? The problem that we get into sometimes is that we filter, when we read what Jesus says, we filter Jesus through what we know Paul says. Right? Instead of filtering Paul through what Jesus says. Uh, how do we do that? It, it, it's, it, the way that it's done the most is that people will see the kingdom of God in Scripture, and they'll just think, The kingdom of God just means salvation. That that's what Jesus came to preach. He just came to preach salvation. And so because he he taught that, when Paul Paul talks about, because Paul talks about salvation a lot, Jesus not so much. We'll get into that in a second. But Paul talks about salvation a lot. And so we assume Jesus must have talked about it a lot if Paul does. But he doesn't. He talks about the kingdom of God more than he talks about anything. Heaven, hell, money, not sinning, right? He talks about the kingdom of God more than anything. And while the kingdom has been inaugurated, it has not come to its full expression yet. And we call this the already but not yet. And so if Jesus teaches about it so much, we have to understand how we personally, how we as a church, how we as the uh, global church, how we fit and work and operate within the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the one who brings the inauguration of the kingdom. And he does it in the two verses that I read. He says, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's he's telling people to change their way of thinking, right? He is proclaiming the king. When he proclaims the kingdom of God has come, he's not bringing a truth to be acknowledged, but he's announcing a present reality. Here's what I mean by that. I li- uh, in the fall and the winter, last year I didn't, but I like to grow a beard. Right? I do. If you, like, I don't post on Instagram anymore, but if you go to my Instagram and look at the last picture, it's me with this big old beard, and I loved it. My wife's not a huge fan of it, so I, I shave it, but I'm going to grow one again this year because I have to check something. Like, I still think I'm young. I just do. Like, I, I, know, I know people were, like, mad at me last week because I said, like, 80 was old, and everybody's like, no, it's not. It's, it's old. Um, but 
so I, I have, I, I'm going to grow it out because I still think I'm young, but if I, if I grow some stubble out for a few days, some of my hair is shiny <laughs> in the beard. And I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Because I look in the mirror, I still think 24, right? <laughs> That's what I think. I, I want to do things. I'm, I want to exercise and play sports. And I'm like, 24, 24, my body's like, nope, 40s, like not happening. And, and so, look, whether I want to acknowledge the reality of my beard going gray or not, it's true whether I acknowledge it or not. Like, I could try to cover it up. I can get the just for men, comb it in and stuff, right? I could do that, but it doesn't change reality, right? So when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here, he's saying this is reality, and whether you choose to acknowledge it or not doesn't change the reality that the kingdom of God is at hand, that it is here, right? This, happened, this, is, this is what's happening uh, in so many spheres of our society, the reality of two genders and two genders only is true whether people acknowledge that, like I would acknowledge, yes, two genders, or whether they don't, say there's 70-something genders, right? Like this is true no matter what, whether we acknowledge it. And so Jesus is coming and he's bursting onto the scene and he is saying, acknowledge me or don't acknowledge me, this is the new reality that you live in. This is the new reality that we live in, and it is good news. Remember, don't filter what Jesus says through Paul. The gospel is not that Jesus died for your sins, and he rose again so that you could be with him in heaven for all eternity. Is that part of the gospel? Absolutely. Is it a fundamental part? Yes. Has it transformed people for centuries? Absolutely. But the good news is that Jesus broke into our world and he brought his kingdom with us. It's the announcement of a king. I taught about that a couple weeks ago. If you're saying, well, I don't know. I taught about it a couple weeks ago. And in this new kingdom, in bringing the kingdom, Jesus reshapes all of reality. All reality is shaped and changed. And that reality now includes a place for those that are far from God to find life in the new kingdom. Because he comes as king, because he comes as bringing his kingdom, he can say, everybody is welcome. They just have to bow to the king. Everybody's welcome. They just have to turn from their ways and follow the king. Jesus tells him, he says, look, I, I, those who are well, he's talking to the Pharisees, those who are well, they don't need a physician. But those who are sick do. I'm not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. He's saying, those who are far from me, those who have nothing to do with me, those who are, are, are desperately, desperately apart from me, embroiled in their own sins, trapped by their own vices, he says, those are the people that I've come for. And I will welcome them in. And what happens when we are saved is he delivers us from the domain of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. There's a, there's a transformation that comes from the reality of who we are. We are transformed and then where we live is transformed. We no longer live in the domain of darkness. So anybody who has not been transformed by Jesus lives still in the domain of darkness. So it's not just... It's not just they're sinners and they're going to go to hell when they die. 
That's how we tend to view it. Right? And so the end goal is just, hey, get them saved and get them to heaven. But when we look at what this says in Paul, is he says, no, right now they're living in the domain of darkness, and they need to be taken out from the power of darkness and brought to the power of Jesus, the glorious son, so that their life begins now, not sometime in the future. Right? Eternal life begins now and goes on forever. He's we would need to be delivered from the domain of darkness, and that's what Jesus comes to do, and it is shown in his teaching. Preaching the kingdom was a central purpose of Jesus' ministry. Luke 4.43, he's been tempted. He said he's anointed by the Holy Spirit. He's done some miracles. Then he goes off to pray. And everybody in the town where he's been doing miracles is like, we want Jesus back. We want Jesus back. And his disciples look for him and find him. They're like, Jesus, everybody wants to talk to you. Everybody wants to see the miracles. Everybody wants to do this. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. He was sent to preach the kingdom of God. So what happened was, as I was beginning to study this a couple years ago, um, and everybody and everybody that I was reading and listening to says, he talks about the kingdom, he talks about the kingdom. I, 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 did, I, I did something that I want to show you this morning. If uh, you're on social media a lot, and I think the young kids say, I got the receipts, right? Is that, is that something that kids say, I got the receipts? No, I see it on Twitter all the time. But I have the receipts. I can prove what I'm saying, right? So here's what I did. I went through the, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And I, I put three columns on the page. In one column, I put power. And so what I did was every time in the gospels that Jesus did something supernaturally powerful or somebody talked about his power or um, his power was displayed, I marked it down. And then every time he referenced the kingdom of God, I wrote it down. And then I wrote down every time that he talks about forgiveness of sins or he forgives somebody's sins. And so here's the book of Matthew. You don't have to read it because I write messy and small and tiny, but I just want to give you an idea. The far, uh, uh, it's going to be, yeah, the far left is power. The middle is kingdom. And the right is talking about forgiveness of sins. So in the book of Matthew, this is every time he was displayed his power. This is every reference to the kingdom of God. And this is every reference to forgiving of sins. This is what Jesus taught in the book of Matthew. On the flip side, and on the next... This is the book of Mark. Mark is shorter. Same thing. Power, kingdom, sins. And all of these sin references, this is John the Baptist preaching the redemption of sins. It's him forgiving the sins of the paralytic. All sins will be forgiven except for the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is the need to forgive so God will forgive your trespasses. And those are pretty consistent over the three. That's Mark. Here's the book of Luke. Same thing. Uh, oh, that's Mark continued. Mark has more power and then not as much of everything else. And then this is the book of Luke. 
Same thing. If you want to see these notes, they'll be up here. You can come check them out. You can, you can fact check me. This is the central teaching of Jesus. He teaches on nothing else as much as he teaches on the kingdom of God. And so we should leave the gospels. When we read it, we should leave the gospels saying, well, then what is the kingdom of God? What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God? What is it, how does Jesus bring it? What, is it? what does that mean for us? If he teaches about it so much, it must be so important. But we've been trained to read the Bible and say, okay, what about me? And it's not, it's not wrong to ask what about me, but that should not be the first question. So we should read the Gospels and say, Jesus talked about the kingdom. Man, the kingdom, it's dynamic. It's powerful. It's, it's like treasure. It's like mustard. It's all of this stuff. And then we just say, okay, what does this mean for me? No, what does it mean about Jesus? What does it mean about God? What does it mean when we put him at the center rather than us at the center? Right? It was the central teaching. He also taught that his presence was a sure sign of the kingdom being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. That's like me asking you this morning, when are you going to get to church? You're already here. And they're asking Jesus, when's the kingdom of God going to come? And Jesus says, look, it's not coming in ways that you can observe. or You can't say, look, it's here or it's there. Behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. He's saying it's here right now. It's in your midst. So you want, you want to define it? You want to nail it down? You can't. Because right? it's this thing that you can't see. The rule of Jesus over a people, over a place, and over a mission, that, that kingdom rule can't just point to it and say, look, it's there. But Jesus says, but it's happening all around you. It's, it's right here with you where you are. His parables are full of kingdom teaching, especially Luke chapter 13. If you were to read Luke chapter 13, it's all about uh, different parables and he starts them all off. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is this. It's mustard seed and leaven. The kingdom of God and that should say Matthew 13. Luke 13 has parables of uh, the kingdom of heaven in it, um, but uh, I put that wrong. It should be Matthew 13. Matthew 13 says uh, the man went to scatter seed. And what's seed? The seed is the word of the kingdom of God. Seed is the kingdom of God. It says, hey, there's the, the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but weeds grew up with it. And at the end, he's going to separate the weeds from the good. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like uh, leaven in yeast. It's yeast in bread. He says it's like a, 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 a treasure hidden in a field. It's like a merchant of pearls who was searching and found a pearl of great price. It's all these different things. It's about, it's, it's like nets and catching fish and throwing some away but keeping some. His parables are all about describing what the kingdom 
of God is like. It's supposed to be the highest priority for us. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Like I said, we should read this verse and say, I have to seek first the kingdom of God. Then what I should be asking is, man, what's the kingdom of God and how do I seek it? Rather than, oh, what are all these riches and things you're talking about adding to me? That's the part that I want to hear about. That's the bonus of seeking first the kingdom of God. It's a benefit of being born again. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot get into heaven. No. Unless one is born again, he can't have his sins forgiven. Nope. All of that comes with it. But Jesus says the benefit of being born again is that you get to see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The kingdom is our motivation to avoid sin. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. For it's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes and to be thrown into hell. Tear out your eyes so you can see the kingdom. Become blind so that you can see the kingdom. Give up everything so that you can see the kingdom. That's our motivation to not sin. And it's the message he told his disciples to go out with. He said, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So they're going out and they're proclaiming there is a new king in town and he is ruling and he is reigning right now. And you want to see how that happens? Come here, let me pray for your leg. Let me pray for your hip. Got a couple demons? Let me take care of them. This is what he sends them out to do. And Jesus comes displaying the kingdom. But for that, you have to come next week. We'll teach on that next week. He didn't just teach it. He displayed it. He didn't just say words. He did actions. So we can't just say words. We have to do actions. But I can't start preaching next week's sermon right now. And so we see this, and we see how Jesus taught about it, how he talked about it. And we, even if you could say, okay, I, I, I kind of get it. We're, we live in the kingdom of God. We're transferred to the kingdom of God. How come everything's still messed up? How come there's still evil? How come I still hurt? How come I still suffer? How come I'm still having these problems? Because the Bible presents the kingdom of God as something that is already, but not yet. Jesus inaugurated the breaking in of the kingdom to earth in his life, his death, his resurrection. All of that, Jesus starts the kingdom of God with all of it. But the Bible, the Bible does this thing, and it does this with salvation too. Right? When, it ta- when the Bible talks about salvation, it says you were saved, it says you are saved, and that you are being saved. Right? It talks about it in all these different tenses. And so it talks about this with the kingdom. It says, look, Jesus inaugurated it, but it's not fully here yet. Like, it's just, it's just starting. Here's what it says in Hebrews, that the full realization of the kingdom is something in the future. 
It says, now putting everything in subjection to him, Jesus, he left nothing outside of his control. Jesus has his control over everything. Everything is under the control and the power of Jesus. But he says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. He already put everything in subjection to him, but we don't yet see everything in subjection to him. Something has already happened, but it's not yet fully realized. And this always bothered me because I could never come up with a good analogy. And then, a couple weeks ago, I've some, uh, a lot of my good analogies come from when something, uh, like, angers me. Like something, not like, like, I'm so mad, but like, oh, that's so dumb. Why are they doing that? Right? Okay. So, uh, here's, here's where it comes from. And I think this is the best analogy I've come up with already, but not yet, to date. Okay. I was a youth pastor for 14 years. And so I had a lot of kids where they would be in my ministry and they'd graduate from eighth grade going into high school. Okay. An eighth grade going into high school. People, people do it younger, right? Um, and, and people will do this on social media. Like parents will do it for younger kids as well. But here's what they do, okay? Somebody finishes eighth grade, and as they finish eighth grade, they say, I'm a high schooler now. And that angers me. Because you're not. You've just finished eighth grade, right? Or you have, you have, uh, you have somebody grad, uh, ending fifth grade, and their mom posts, uh, I have a junior higher now. No, you don't. You have someone who finished fifth grade. That angers me. Should it? We can argue about that later. But I think it should. Here's, here's the reality. Now, now follow me. because right, When you've graduated eighth grade, you've done everything to pass eighth grade. You've taken the test. You've turned in all your assignments. They've given you a diploma and says, you're no longer an eighth grader. You don't have to do anything else. You're done. It's paid for. Jesus already passed the test. Jesus already did all the work. Jesus did everything so that then he gives us the, the diploma that says, okay, you've graduated from the kingdom of darkness and now you're into the, my kingdom. Your sins are forgiven. You're made whole. Come to me. Right? Jesus did all of that. And yet an eighth grader is not a high schooler because they've never set foot on the high school campus as a student. They haven't had to do any homework. They haven't had to take any tests. They're living in summer vacation as a graduated eighth grader, but not yet a high schooler. And that's where we live. We live in the summer vacation of Jesus having done everything already done for us, but we're not yet walking in the fullness of what we will be. We're not high schoolers yet, but we're graduated eighth graders. Some of us kindergarten to first grade, but you get, you get the point. Jesus did it all. He's already done it. And we're living in this space where we're already seated with God in the heavenlies, with Jesus in the heavenly places. We're already united with Christ. We have the mind of Christ. We have the will of Christ, all these things. But man, we're going to really walk in it at some point in the future. And the Bible presents this, that there are multiple ages in biblical eschatology, meaning the way that we look at how things end. There are multiple ages. Most would say that there's two ages. There's the present age, and there's the age to come. 
But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, will not be forgiven even in this age or the age to come. So he's saying, you're living in a place right now, but it's not where you're going to be forever. You're living in a time and a space and an era right now, but there's also a time and a space and an era for us in the future as well. Paul writes in Galatians, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The present evil age. There's these ages and we live as sojourners, as pilgrims in this present evil age. And yet we await the age that is to come. Jesus already did everything, but we'll walk in it more. And it's, uh, Satan is the god of this age, lowercase g. But we take his ground by bringing the reign of God into places it has not been. So we actively, we actively bring the kingdom of God to bear on this earth. And Jesus says when a church doing that, the global church doing that, that the gates of hell cannot stop this advance of the kingdom of God. And so we look at the world. Last week I talked about the warfare worldview. We look at the world as a place to be conquered, not by violence, not by guns, not by war, but by love and power, and the good news that Jesus reigns, the offer of forgiveness to people. We conquer Satan when we do that. You conquer Satan every time you do God's will instead of his will or your own will. You conquer Satan every time you bow to your knees in prayer when you don't feel like praying. You conquer Satan and bring the kingdom to bear on earth just a little bit more when you open your Bible on those mornings where you just struggle and you don't want to. We take back ground from the enemy. And then on the final day, Satan will be done away with. And we'll all live in the age to come where the kingdom of God is fully realized on earth. Because then comes the end. When he, Jesus, delivers what? The kingdom of God to the Father. After destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign. Psalm 110.1. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's the not yet that's what's at the end of summer vacation. When we step foot onto the, the, the high school campus or the campus of the kingdom of God. And then Jesus says, here, Father, it's all yours. My church did their job. My church did their work. Now I'm giving it to you. And then we'll fully realize what it is. And this is, the, this is where we live. This is where we live, and we must become a kingdom people. I put the same slide twice. There we go. Kingdom people. So we pray 
What do we do? If we live under the rule and reign of God, if we have submitted to Lord Jesus, Christ Jesus as Savior, ruler, master, all of that, when we have submitted to him, what kind of things do kingdom people do? This is not an exhaustive list. It doesn't have everything, but it has a few things. First thing we do is we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So here's the thing about living in the summer vacation of the kingdom of God. Right, when an when a eighth grader is going to be a high schooler, they get some benefits of being a high schooler before they actually enter high school. In my old youth group, I had a junior high and high school uh, youth groups, and they met on different nights. And so after they graduated, an eighth grader who's living in summer vacation can come to high school youth group and experience a little bit of the future in the present. You'll go, uh, some, some uh, eighth graders might play sports, and so they go practice with the high school teams. You get your high school schedule. You might go shopping for clothes and shoes and backpacks. You get these benefits of the future that you're going to walk in now. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking God, take the future benefits that we have and bring them to me now, please. Right, when we pray for healing, we'll be in a time where everyone is healed, and so we're saying, God, take a little bit of that future that we have, where everything is restored, where everything is made new, and make something new right now. Like the power that, that we'll see, the, the, the unity to Christ that we'll experience, the closeness to you, we want that just a little bit more right now. Will you bless us with your presence? We're praying for God's rule to be perfectly executed. And we do it by proclaiming the good news and showing the active power of God. That'll be next week. But we're saying, God, let your goodness break through now. Let your kingdom break in now. Let your hope break in now. Let your love break in now. Yes, we get it in the future and that should be solace to us when we're struggling, but it shouldn't just be, oh, it's just in the future, it's not for me now. It's no. God, I know it's there, but I know you also offer it now. So let your kingdom come now in my struggle. Let your kingdom come now in my pain. Let your kingdom come now. Like it's going to in heaven. Like it's actively being worked out in heaven right now. So we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We learn our role in furthering the kingdom of God on earth. So we live in a way that demonstrates and expands Jesus' authority into every sphere of our world. We have to know at the core of this, it is God, how have you uniquely created me to live and walk in your kingdom? Right? We, 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 we say, God, you talk about the body and how there's ears and noses and mouths and there's feet. There's all of these different things. Where am I? Am I the thumb or am I the patella tendon? Like, how does it work itself out for me? Like, God has a role for each believer to play. And, and 
we need to, to seek that specifically. A lot of times we'll just say general prayers. General prayers aren't bad. I've just found that general prayers aren't as effective. But we'll pray general prayers. Like, God, show me what your will is for my life, and I'll do it. God, I know you have something for me, so just, man, whatever you have for me. What if you prayed, God, I love doing this. How can I do this as I expand your kingdom and your reign on earth? I really like to draw. I really like to teach. I really like I really like to play sports. I really like to, what do you like to do? And instead of saying, God, what's your will for me? He might already be showing you. And you say, okay, God, how do I use what you've already given me to expand your kingdom? How can I demonstrate your love through all the things that I'm doing? We have to learn our role in furthering the kingdom of God. And your role changes over time. So just because you did something in your 20s doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it in your 40s. Just because you did something in your 40s doesn't mean you're going to be able to do it in your 60s or that you should be doing it in your 60s. But how is, where are you furthering the kingdom of God on earth? And we live with the expectation that the king will intervene on the behalf of his people to bring the future into the present. In the small things, that, and I put quote-unquote small things because they're not small, we just make them small. In raising kids, in fighting through school, in our job, in the way that we interact with our husband or wife, in our friendships, in these things that are all around us that we don't think have this lasting impact, but they have lasting impact. So we have to believe that in the the struggle of these things and in the victory and joy of these things, that God wants to intervene on our behalf. Why? Because he's a king who loves his people. He's a father who loves his children. He's the good father who doesn't give snakes when you ask for fish or scorpions when you ask for rocks, but it says when you ask for the Holy Spirit, he is overjoyed to give him to you. Fear not, my little flock, for it is the Father's joy to give you the kingdom. Think about what Jesus is saying there. It's yours. Grab it. It's yours. Ask for it. It is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And then he does it in signs and wonders. He does it in the big things, what we call the big things, but aren't necessarily bigger than anything else. When his presence rests in a place just a little bit heavier, when there's healings, when people are being set free from the stronghold, right? This is the king loving his people. And so he intervenes. We live in this exit expectation that this actively happens now. And the last thing we do is we await the return of the king. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, 
and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, we will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. The language there where we will meet the Lord in the air, the language there used in the Greek, it's for when a king would be coming to visit one of his towns. And what would happen, one of his provinces, one of his cities, whatever it was, he's coming. And what would happen was that as he's coming into town, a delegation would come out from the city. People would flood out from the city to meet him there. And then they walk behind him into their city. And they say, the king's here, the king's here. This is what we do. We meet Christ in the air And then he comes down here to dwell with us forever in the new heavens, in the new earth. And while he's coming, we meet him. We say, the king is here. The king is here. The king is here. This is what we do. We pray. We learn our role. We live in expectation. And we await the return of the king. Jesus would tell parables, and he'd say, you know what it's like? It's like when there's virgins and they have lamps, and some fill their lamps with all the oil that they need, but some don't. And he says, and and the ones who who have enough oil, their, their lamp is burning as the master comes home. But as the ones who didn't put enough oil in, they're not ready. And Jesus says, and so what you need to know is that you need to always be ready. He says, it's, it's like, it's like a, a ruler who went away. And he left, his, he left his, his estate in charge of his servant. And he's going to come back. And he's going to ask his servants, what did you do while I was gone? And the servants better have something to answer for him. And then he says, and so it's like with you. So, so it's the same with you. We've been given, we've been given the, the stewardship, the command of stewardship over the kingdom of God here on earth. And that's what we do. We steward the kingdom of God. The rule and reign of Jesus. We take that everywhere we go. Stand with me. I didn't have anything in reflection. Nothing was sinking up in my mind this week or this morning. Holy Spirit, 
I thank you. I thank you for you doing everything. You have already done it. Everything is in, in subjection under your feet. And while we do not yet see everything in subjection, we know that it's coming. We thank you for the already. We long and yearn for the not yet. But Lord, let us live wisely in this age, in this time, in this era, where we live between the already and the not yet. God, I pray that you would still pour out the benefits of the future. power to each of us. Lord, I pray that that you would move in kingdom power this morning for those who want prayer for healing, Lord.
pray for you. If they have people there, I'll pray for you. If anybody is suffering from deep vein thrombosis, DVT, come see me and I'll point you. Get some prayer. Same if you have a left elbow injury. Lord, we just ask for your goodness. Shake the mountains, break the walls apart. 
take my scars Peace by peace restore my heart Take what's broken, make it whole again Let's sing that verse again, it's verse 3 You alone You alone can take my scars Peace by peace restore my heart Take what's broken, make it whole again. In your power, your presence, break strongholds, King of heaven, when you speak, mountains move, I believe there will
are so good to us. Just thank you, thank you, thank you for who you are and all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you soon.
want to see you. I want to see you.